In the United States, uh, we saw the beating of Rodney King by the Los Angeles Police Department about 30 years ago. Um, that was covered um, by mainstream media, believe it or not. Um, it was on TV and those of us who were alive, we all saw that. Um, over the last three decades, while reformers um, who essentially are looking for that gentler version of genocide uh, preached for cops to have control over who sees what with body and dash cams, independent journalists and the average citizen has gained the ability to FTP or film the police. Um, this is how we saw Eric Garner get choked to death in New York City and how we saw Mike Brown lying dead in the streets in Ferguson. Uh, we protested, the Black Lives Matter movement began, we interrupted the Democratic presidential debate on national television, but again, not much changed. And, um, you know, policing and mass incarceration stemmed directly from slavery with Jim Crow in the middle, and now we have new slaves, and not much has changed uh, since the civil rights era. Um, then all of a sudden, the whole world saw Derek Chauvin suffocate George Floyd for nine minutes on the streets of Minneapolis. And like Eric Garner, he said over and over again, I can't breathe. And for some reason, the protests erupted. This was the biggest sustained protest movement in our nation's history. Defenders of lives of color and anti-fascists were on the streets in every state. Um, and we knew it was time. There were a number of activists, myself included, uh, Zoya Patrona on and others who um, knew each other a little, but hadn't worked uh, directly together on any um, specific action or cause. Um, but we came together in um, late April, early May, because we knew this was the time to take advantage of this opportunity. Um, mobilizing was happening the passion was there, the, you know, the terror of um, the terrorism of the police um, and what it's all for, which is the enslavement of certain criminalized populations was coming to the forefront. What we, what we understood was that we needed demands because um, protest has to be for a purpose. The protests all over the country um, forced the power holders to listen and give us a seat. Um, and as Shirley Chisholm said, if they don't bring a folding chair, um, we knew that if we got a seat at that table or we knocked the table over or we pushed ourselves into those city council meetings and into the mayor's offices, that we needed to have concrete demands, um, making it clear exactly what needed to end today and what the solutions were for a more humane, just society. So we built the 10 Demands for Justice, the road to abolition. Um, it focused and continues to focus primarily on two areas, education and action. As far as action, um, as soon as we released the demands, we put them in the hands of protesters. We distributed print flyers to activists in cities across the country so that they had them to guide them as they were facing off with police and risking their lives. Um, we've also expanded our efforts to include all people in this country who may not, due to COVID, due to family, um, due to priorities, may not be willing or able to risk their lives on the street and face further police brutality. Um, but 
and, and may also not have enough money to donate to mutual aid groups in their areas, but want to make sure that their votes count. They want to make sure that their elected officials understand that if they do not act on behalf of their constituents, they will not hold office any longer. So we have created through ResistBot letters that you can send to your mayor, your governor, your state Congress, and your national Congress representatives all through your phone by sending a text. This informs them of what we're focused on and what needs to be done. This is their opportunity to either take the lead or to be silent and lose their, their office and their power. Finally, we created a song. Um, I'm a hip hop artist um, and we created a song with all proceeds going to Movement for Black Lives, another opportunity to give what we could back to the people most impacted by um, racism and classism in policing, um, prosecution and, and sentencing. Uh, finally, when it comes to education, our primary goals have been to dispel the myths, the myths about cops in cages and the myths about abolition and what it means. So I'll run through those very quickly for you. And then I'm gonna pass you on um, to some of my cohorts who will break down the specific demands uh, pretty quickly. Cops in cages do not deter crime. Cops don't stop crime. They don't solve crime. In fact, they increase the likelihood of future criminality and increase the size of the criminal population. In no other job on earth could you be successful 2% of the time and not only keep your job, but get raise after raise and pension, et cetera, et cetera, make $100,000 a year or more. But that's the, that's the case with the police. They solve 2% of all major crimes. Prisons don't rehabilitate. They dehumanize, they isolate, and they destroy safety nets, which leads to recidivism. We're not making our country safer if we believe that we're putting people in prison to come back out again and be functional members of society. What happens when people are away is they lose their family connections, their community connections. They, don't, they come out and they don't have a job, they don't have a house, they don't have a car, and they're felons. So they can't get a job, a house, or a car. When it comes to abolition, abolition is not anarchy. It's not a lack of accountability. It's not about absence. Like Ruth Wilson Gilmore said, it's about presence. It's about building life-affirming institutions or remedies for the underlying causes of crime, like jobs training, education, substance abuse treatment, mental health treatment, mutual aid, wellness checks instead of patrols. And a different form of justice that truly holds people accountable to the people and the communities they've harmed. It's called transformative reparative justice, where both the perpetrator who has probably been a victim themselves and the victim are repaired and transformed through the process with mediation, rehabilitation, and service. And finally, abolitionists do not believe that tomorrow we should wake up with no prisons, no jails, and no police. At least in the United States, we are not prepared for that. We have not built these life-affirming institutions yet, but that is the reason that we start with defunding. All of the money that goes to the police departments, the billions and trillions of dollars, should be defunded and reallocated so that we can build these life-affirming institutions. And when we're prepared to do that, we won't need cops in cages at all. 